Well, hi, everybody. Welcome into Unanchored Boston. Once again, another great episode coming up this week and a great guest. And as always, Cold Springs RV brings you this edition of Unanchored Boston. It's your destination for all things camping. And where? Well, we're in New Hampshire, of course. And the great George Gray at the great George Gray's Lexington Toyota. And speaking of great, we've got a great guest today. You better live up to that, Nate. Nate Greenberg, uh, who uh, has an anniversary coming up this week, uh, ne the, the next month, rather. Um, it'll be 50 years ago, he was hired by the Boston Bruins. We're going to have some fun talking about some stories. And with Bob LaBelle, I'm Mike Lynch. Loby, take it away. 50 years ago, Nate, how did the heck did they hire you? Why did they hire you 50 years That's, ago? That too is, they've been asking that question for the last 50 years. But uh, uh, mentioning that, of course, I, sh I should duly note, as you well remember, Loby, so it had to have been... 49 plus years ago that I made this horrendous drive from Boston to Manchester, New Hampshire in an absolute blizzard to do an interview with some guy in some radio station in Manchester, New Hampshire, in like a little garage area we were in. And when I tell you halfway up, I said to myself, my God, I don't know if I should turn around or not. It was The snow was coming down in buckets. But I said, no, I've committed to this. And so... Just shy of 50 years ago, I drove to Manchester, New Hampshire, to be on a sports show with Bob Lobel. That was, uh, I'll never forget it. I couldn't believe you showed up. First of all, I couldn't believe that. Well, anyway, it was a long time ago in a place far away, but a lot of water has gone under the bridge. Boy, I guess. A lot of water. And, uh, I mean, Lynchy and I got plenty to talk to you about. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the Bruins. I mean, I've couple of things I wanted to bring up, too, about the PGA on primetime and uh, also Jack Jones of the Patriots and, you know, idiots as that they are and uh, stuff stuff like that. But the hockey players, they're different. They've always been different. Your attitude, the attitude of the Bruins, thanks to you, has always been different. And I only say that, and I think Lynchy would agree 100%, as would 100 I could poll a hundred other people, including the late Bob Newmeyer, who would absolutely say the same thing. There was nobody like Nate Greenberg and why he didn't get hired by the Red Sox, which is another story for another, but we'll, we'll get into that. But why it, it was the, it was the perfect match. I don't know. I don't know how you managed to juggle Harry, Cherry, uh, Mooney and Jacobs all together. How did, how did you? Well, I'll tell you, the, the the good news was, you know, I really, my own, Harry was my boss for all my 34 years. And when, when he sort of yielded his position, that was, that was the end of me as well, which, you know, I was disappointed at the time, but you get over it, 34 years. No, as you know, nobody, nobody leaves exactly the way they wanted to leave. But I'll tell you something, uh, Harry was terrific. You know, as you, as you guys both well know, uh, Harry wore his, and still does to this day. He's soon to be 91 years old. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And if you said something he didn't like, he would tell you. There was no, no you know, whispering or no, gee, I wonder what Harry thinks of this. If he saw you, he'd stop you and tell you, I didn't like what you said or I didn't like what you did. And and as you guys well know, uh, he he 
he he he chewed out a lot of media in the city of Boston. Maybe it was myself uh, included. He got me pretty good a couple of times. I remember we went to lunch at the Paul Carey's or something, and he had his say. You were you were there. Yeah. Oh, I, I you know how many of those I had with I mean, with, with some of the great names in Boston sports history. You know, Tim Horgan, uh, Joe Fitzgerald, uh, uh, Vince Doria when he was the Globe Sports Editor. I mean. We had the uh, we had, you know he he was, but I'll tell you this, and, and I've told him many times, and I've told others, that it never he, he never once said to me, you know, don't talk to that guy, don't do this. He knew that I had a friendship with you and a friendship with Lynchy and a friendship with whatever whoever, and he never once said to me, uh, you know, don't talk to them, don't deal with them. Uh, I was, he had his thing to do. I had my thing to do. And he never, ever once, uh, uh, for whatever he might have thought of the situation or the guy who said it, or the gal who said it, he was, uh, he was always, always, always uh, great with it. No problem. Uh, and I said, I had a, I still have a wonderful relationship with him, but as a, as my boss for 34 years, uh, he knew that I, I know he knew that I had the best interests of the team involved. And we, we had more than, we had more than a few discussions. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't say there were arguments. He had, I had more than a few discussions with him over the years about certain things that asked my opinion about, fortunately he didn't ask my opinion about hockey players, but he asked my opinion about, you know, what did I think about this? or what should we do? Or how should we handle it? And, uh, we we had there was some there was some tense moments behind closed doors, and he knew once they closed the door, once we opened the door and came out, that we were on the same page. Because he was the boss, and whatever he wanted, I made my case to him as best I could. More often than not, he bought it. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes sometimes he'd be damn nasty about it. To be perfectly candid with you, but uh, he knew that when I left his office. We were on the same page, and and that's the way we operated. So, for whatever whatever credit I take, uh, I've taken and, and praise. You know, I always mention that if, if you know if Harry had said to me, "Don't deal with this guy. Don't don't let this station in." You know, he he, he certainly was not a media savvy guy. He understood what their role was and all, but he, he was a hockey player. He was uh, his whole life played hockey, coached hockey, president, general manager. He never ever, uh, and and as you both well know, back in the day, in 1973, when I started, I was a party of one. It's not like you have, you know, today they have 50 people, I bet. You can call, you know, any of these teams. They're loaded with, you know, internet people. And I was it. What I was able to do was bring guys in, like you, you both remember the late Frankie Bonner, was a fireman in Newton. But, you know, he was the best guy I could get for a game night. Come in, handle things. No, nothing was a problem. Get things done. It was, it was an entirely different time back then. But Harry should take a lot of the credit for it because he let, he let, let me do what I wanted to do and what I thought was best. You know, I, I can't remember any general manager of any one of the four big uh, pro teams, maybe Lou Gorman was as accessible as Harry Sinden. Was that a collaborative effort between you and Harry, or was that just his nature? 
Well, I mean, collaborative to the to the degree that I'd say, you know, I I I had to, you know, he and he said he he wore his heart on his still does wears his heart on his sleeve, not afraid to tell you what he thinks, uh, but he uh, and and he realized it was it was important to the franchise to uh, uh, you know to get get it out there, get the get the product out there, get the publicity. He was very good about it and. Uh, uh, I was actually telling was a couple of years ago, telling a guy, I, I spoke to this PR group at BU. And I said, you know, back in, in the, and you, you both can, I can relate to this. I said, we used to have a hospitality room and during the playoffs, every a big suite and we'd have booze in there. We'd have sandwiches in there after games and before games and after games and, and all. And, and Harry would come in, Tom Johnson, a couple of the scouts. Sometimes the coach might show up for a beer. I mean, we had, uh, and and we we never we never ever had a problem. Uh, everything that was said, and there was lots that was said in those nights. Believe me, especially as it got later into the night, especially after we had taken another ass whooping from the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> and to be down and disappointed and all, and and. Everything was kept in the room. There was never, nothing ever, you know, it was never a problem. I said, uh, you, uh, Lobi mentioned Neumeyer. He was one of the real classics, Neumeyer. He knew, he knew how to get under Harry's skin. Every once in a while, he'd make some offhanded comment for the, for the express purpose of getting Harry teed off, right? <laughs> and he was a master at it. And, and, you know, and Harry be barking at him, you know, you effing guys and this and that. And at the end of the night, they end up laughing, shaking hands, and off they went into the night. But to, to, to have a, a room with, of course, obviously, there wasn't the numbers of media that there are today with Internet people and all, you know, there's, everybody's, everybody's an insider today. Everybody's got an insider. But it was a, it was an, a fairly intimate group, but a fun group. And we had lots of fun nights. And uh, I can't tell you, well, you will know. I mean, how many, especially you will both identify with this, your, your photographers who were there, the guys, and they came too. And they didn't get a lot back in the day. I mean, you know, you guys got all the, the attention and here these guys were lugging their equipment and cameras and all, and they would come up to the room and they thought this was the greatest, uh, the, the, the best part of the whole trip was to be in the room after the game and, Free food, booze, and lots of fun entertainment, uh, and and they loved it. And I said, you know, that was that was that was part of the gig back then. Today, uh, I'm told that they haven't done anything like that in 20 years. They don't want yeah, media separate. Uh, you know, this is for us. That everything is. It's all changed. That's basically what I'm saying. It's all the business has changed. And well, everybody I would submit not for the better, but everybody in that organization, and it seemed like everybody in that sport back then was accessible. Yeah. There was an Absolutely. accessibility to that just didn't exist uh today to, to each and every a lot of that lobby was was the the the, the thought back in the day was that uh Hockey players didn't have the buildup that, you know, baseball, football, basketball players, had, especially in this country, obviously. There were lots of, back in the, in the 70s, it was obviously predominantly Canadians uh, and, and uh, who, I might add, all worked during the offseason. It wasn't like they were making big money. They all had to get part-time jobs. 
And they were very humbled. You know, parents, there's, a, there's a, hundreds of millions of stories of parents having to take their kids to practice at four o'clock in the morning in, you know, cold, dark, dreary arenas, bring them to practice. And if that doesn't humble you, nothing will, right? Having to get up at that hour and, 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 and go work out. And it was, and I, I, I thought back then that was a big, a big part of the equation that they didn't have the buildup that a lot of the other teams had. The interesting thing is it appears to me, I, again, I've been out of it for 16 years now, but uh, uh, for the most part, there's still a pretty good bunch of guys. Uh, uh, the only guy I know from this, on this current team from my time was Bergeron, who, you know, you can, you can search hard, hard and, and long to find somebody better than Bergeron. I mean, he's a terrific guy, personable, what you see is what you get. Uh, and, and as you know, as you said, they, as a group, you, you, you couldn't beat them. I, I, I said, I, if I had to ask those guys and I, I will, I'll throw this in while I'm rambling here that the only, but my biggest issue starting off in the, in the 70, 73, 74 season was trying to get our good friend, Robert G. Orr to come out of the trainer's room to talk to the media. And he was, you know, obviously he was a huge star at the time and I, uh, uh, and still is, but here I was, you know, uh, he's a year older than me. I so about the same age at the time, 24, 25 years old, pleading with him to please come out of the locker room to talk to the press when, you know, his rationale, which was, was only or at, at the time, he wanted the other guys to get notoriety. Talk to somebody else. Talk to, you know, Dallas Smith or Rick Smith or whoever. Everybody wanted to talk to him every night. So my, and, and guys who pleaded, can we, can we get or can we get? And so I would tiptoe in, scared shitless to say the least, and say to him, please, please could you come out and speak? And he told me where to go, believe me, more than one night. But I took it in good humor because I know I know, you know, I know what he was doing. He was trying to share the spotlight. Have you ever come across anybody like him? I mean, we, I, 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 we know his on ice skills, but, but off the ice. No. Uh, and uh, not to, not to get into a, to a, a long story on this, but the, uh, as, as I, as I, and I, I told him this, this winter, I saw him in for Florida and I said to him, you know, in August, Bob, be 50 years ago, I started with the Bruins, and uh, we have we have maintained a wonderful friendship. 50 years later, he is. Uh, uh, I have I have uh, very few people I've met in my time uh, who was. If if you're his friend, boy, you are you are something special, and he he is so wonderful to me, to my family, and you know we were. I had him for like, what, four years until, you know, he, he, he left in that, that very tough situation. And, and of course, uh, he and Harry didn't, didn't, you know, that whole situation that I don't have to remind you all the old situation and, and Harry took bullets for in organization for a long time of which he had, I mean, it, it turned out to have absolutely no fact and it was, you know, it was, uh, the agent, his agent got involved, the whole mess. But 
uh, I will tell you this, which you'll enjoy. So after one of our, one of my many lunches one day was Harry and Orr and I at Lockover's private room upstairs. And I just sat there and talked and they went back and forth for, for age, hours, you know, talking about what he knew, what he didn't know, how he knew it. And, and it, it rekindled their friendship. And uh, last year, we were, so we were in, I was in Florida. Harry was in Florida. Orr was in Florida at the same time. And uh, Orr said to me one day, uh, have you talked to Harry? I said, oh, I talk to him every week. I said, he's, he's at the Bear Lakes and in, in, in West Palm Beach and, and enjoying it. I said, I, um, I was hoping to get him to have lunch, but starting, he, he had some health issues and he wasn't real mobile at the time. And Orr said to me, uh, have you got his number? I said, sure. It's in my phone here. Get him on the phone, he said. So I dial him. He thinks it's me. Nate, how you doing? He said to me, it's not Nate. He said, it's Bobby Orr. Some, you know, Harry's going, oh, geez, great to chat with you and all that. And he said, Harry, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm slowing down a bit. And, uh, but, you know, good. I can't complain. I'm doing okay. Bobby said, that's good because Nate and I are coming to have lunch with you tomorrow. We'll meet you at the clubhouse at noontime. Well, there was this long pregnant pause. <laughs> he really, he didn't feel like going, to be honest with you. I, mean, as I said, he wasn't, wasn't doing it. It wasn't at his best. But I said to Bobby, only you could get Harry out of his, out of his house and to the clubhouse at Bear Lakes. And we had the, I'm saying, once again, I sat there for two hours and we went back and forth, but did we have a, did we have a great time? And, uh, Harry told me afterwards, God, that was one of the one of the best lunches I've had in an awful long time. It was just, it was, it was great. It was wonderful. So, yeah, he was pretty. He was pretty unbelievable. When you come across all levels of uh, of athletes, and he certainly defined the higher end, as opposed to these guys that come in with guns trying to get through the airport. The Patriots. <laughs> I mean, really. I you are you are so tell, right. Tell you what, imagine. You tell imagine what, something. Go huh? ahead. No, I'm just. What are you thinking? I I don't know. I don't. Why are you I don't still know. with the team? And he, he was. He you know. He is, and he still does. I mean, and and you know that I I I think about this a lot actually. When I I see him, I see him a couple times a year, or I think about this. You know, he was an era, and especially back then, where at, all athletes, but even the great ones like Orr, they they did so many things for so many people. Be it kids who were sick, be it guys who were you know under the weather, down in the dumps, or whatever. And they knew if if you got a phone call from Bobby Orr, boy, that would that would. That would turn your day around, if not your life, the rest of your life. I mean, to think that all would call. And I mean, if I had a dime for everybody I came across who said, you know, or sent me this, or called did this, whatever, I said I could, I would be a wealthy man. And 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 the most important part of it was, well, as important, <coughs> is he didn't want anybody to know about it. I know. That, you know, that's for me, separates the wheat from the chaff. I mean, that is. 
you know, he is uh, last year, uh, two years ago, I guess, it was during the pandemic, he went around. I was I was down there in the summertime and he was showing me something the guy had sent him from one of these police departments like in 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 Sandwich or someplace down on the Cape. Uh, he to thank them for the for the work that they had done, the effort they had put in during the pandemic when, you know, as we all know, things were a mess. Uh, he went around to every police station and took pictures, brought them some stuff. Uh, nobody knew about it. Nobody. The only reason they got out is because one of the, uh, the PIOs and one of the police departments called the uh, Cape Cod Times or whatever and let them know. Otherwise, nobody would have known about it. I mean, what a what a wonderful trait. What a what a I, you know right. you, you, you can't put it in the words. As you know, it's the it's the antithesis of much of the stuff that happens today. Is you yeah. know these guys can't step out of the room without having you know their own cameras. Everybody else's every it's 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 all choreographed and orchestrated. That's, I told that's that the story. Last thing you wanted. I told that story in Lynchy about driving back from the Cape with Orrin Fisk. Huh? Yeah. T -t -t tell it again. It's hilarious. No, just driving back from a Tucker Anthony to go to the shot at Pro-Am. And I'm it's just the chauffeur. Because we, I was just going up there and Orrin Fisk were in the car. And I was around Braintree and, you know, the, we were talking, talk, you know, golf, whatever we talk about. And uh, I said, hey, let me just ask you this question. If, this, if we had an accident right now and if this car, you know, went off the road, and the three of us were killed. What do you think the headline in the Herald would be? And and Orr, and Orr said, "Well, don't worry, you wouldn't be in it." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was that is perfect. Which always we I had some most uh, funny story. You know, we were talking about the media, and I, when we first started chattering uh, uh, air, airplanes for games, so it was probably in the early mid 80s uh when we it would take maybe a playoff charter or if we had to go to the west coast or up to quebec we couldn't get commercial flights we would charter and we would take the media people with us that wanted to go so we had we had uh uh, uh wilson and cusick and pearson and uh uh back in the day it was leo monahan and and tom fitzgerald Fran so Rosa. Of, what's that Fran Rosa. Fran Rosa came, absolutely. And uh, we're, we were on this this really small, crowded plane going to Quebec City because we couldn't get a plane in there. And, the, and of course, it, the, the small plane would land. If it was a foot of snow. It didn't bother them. Just drop into the snow, and you'd have to climb out of the plane. It was really, it was crazy. But anyway, one night, Tom Fitzgerald said to me, you know, he said, we really appreciate that you're taking the media on this flight because otherwise it would have taken them days to get to Quebec City and back. And he said, you know, he said, I told my wife last night, God forbid this plane should go down. There'll be no mention whatsoever of my name in it, he said. <laughs> and I would hope that somebody would let them know. <laughs> and I, you know, we laughed and all. And I, every time I swear, once a year, I always thought of that line. He was serious. I hope somebody will let them know that I was on this plane. Let my next of kin know. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, hey, let me let me let me get this in for our good friend George Gray. Uh, if, if he couldn't take a plane into Quebec City, you could drive a car in there, 
And yeah, oh, yeah. the best place to get a car was George Gray's Lexington Toyota. Right. You're thinking about a new vehicle, go where Lobie and I go. We go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. <laughs> we both have been customers for years because we know George Gray will treat you right, and he'll get you into Quebec City. He'll get you into Toyota, and he'll get you there. George's business is a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. He will take care of you, and he is a huge Bruins fan, George <coughs> is. So he will uh, he will treat you right. You know, speaking of, um, I, I, I want to bring up bad memories, but with at least 20, maybe 20 years, you did not beat Montreal up, up there in a series. Probably sometime in the 60s to about 86 or so. Does that sound right, Nate? I, I, I wiped it from my memory. <laughs> but I but say you're about right, yes. You used to do customs coming into the United States in Montreal, right? That's correct, yes. So every time you lost, they would just they wouldn't even look at it. They'd just wave it through. Thank you. Come again. Can't can't wait to see yeah, you. They used to that's right. They well, they used to put an autograph pad out so they could get autographs. <laughs> that was the that was the customs. <laughs> you just had oh. this Wave never and sign the thing and keep going. But you finally beat them in 86. And yeah, I believe it was either 86 or 88. Okay, it might have been 88. But they they stopped you and opened every bag. That's exactly Harry right. Was, Harry was out of his – opened the puck bag. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And meanwhile, <laughs> the Canadians yeah, – they were good and mad. Yeah, they were going – we're going home for probably games three and four in Boston – the Canadians were already in their hotel in Boston, and I think yep. they were still looking through the equipment bag, right? You got a good memory. That's exactly right. And when Harry oh, was, he was, was mine, wasn't he? Was he? In, of course, you know, I mean, Harry's Harry's hate of Montreal knows no bounds. Uh, <laughs> as you know, he used to – one of his favorite lines was every year, and he couldn't wait to get the assembled media after the game, death, taxes, and the first penalty in Montreal. <laughs> that was his favorite line to the uh, – and, you know, uh, uh, mad at the officials, mad at everybody. And as, as the, in the old form, I, I can't speak as much now to the new place, but in the old Montreal form, you know, most of the workers were just delightful. People were hospitable and nice and friendly and all. But, you know, all of his, and of course, Harry is from Toronto, so, but all of his uh, hockey playing life, though, up, up until the late 80s, uh, you know, Montreal, they had, they had, they had first crack at all the French Canadian players. Everything was tilted in their favor. And that pissed Harry off more than anything that they got this break that no other team got. And he was, uh, he was, oh, he was incensed. And I said, as you know, it went on to a point where, uh, uh, the, the apex being in, in, in when we, we had the too many men game, I mean, it, uh, it just, it, it was, I mean, the, it's, it's painful. I said, I, I said it only half kiddingly that I wiped it from my mind because it was just the most horrific thing of my, uh, of my time there. It was, uh, and Harry, believe me, he would, he would be like, light a match and just fling it in his direction. It'd explode. I mean, he was just so <laughs> irritated because as, as, many, as you know, if anything could go wrong, it did in those years. You brought up the too many men thing and I just would, uh, tr quickly transfer over to that and say, and in a general way, how much chaos did Don Cherry cause you? Oh my word! 
But I, I like I like <laughs> I'm not smart. I know you do. You liked everybody. Yeah. Well, but how much chaos? I mean, I can. How much aggravation did Don Cherry put in your life? Oh, are you kidding? Look what happened to my hair. Gone. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, I mean, I go. We go back. In fact, God rest him now. Was both well, both of your colleagues, Clark Booth. We used to we used to love telling the story. Uh, uh, we in this. 76, I believe, we played the Blackhawks in the first, a best of three back in the day. First round, we lose. And uh, Cherry's pronouncement after the game is they were going to send the next game, they were going to send Stan Makita back to Czechoslovakia in a pine box. <laughs> well, people went absolutely. I mean, the league is calling, the media, and Cherry, of course, just storms off into the night, and everybody's going, gee, did he, you know, I'm saying, you know, what am I, what can I say? I mean, I was speechless, right? And uh, I mean, he, he was, oh my God, I'm telling you, he was, he was, but you, you know, the interesting thing was he and Harry had a lot in common. You know, they, they, because Cherry was mad. Harry let him go after, I think it's five years. Uh, Harry let him go and he was, you know, he was there and they didn't, again, they didn't speak for years, but they're, 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 back on good terms. So why did Harry uh, let him go? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I'll tell you something, uh, and you, you guys know this, you know, Harry had a philosophy. I mean, he, because he, he was a, he, Harry was a player coach in the Bruins organization. When he, for, for I believe it was two years, the Bruins top farm team in the mid sixties was in Minneapolis. And Harry was the player coach. Imagine that. I think of such things today, but, Anyway, he had a philosophy about uh, about coaching uh, longevity. That was players tune you out after a certain time. Uh, and so I I can't say I was surprised. Uh, he was uh, uh, you know he 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 and he he would monitor. You know he was around a lot. He sort of didn't interfere, but he was around. And if he if he thought uh, the things were winding down. The players stopped listening, or he, he thought it was. Un- I wouldn't say it was unique to hockey, but it was. It, well, it was sort of. He felt, you know, it was a sport where you had to be, you had to get pumped up every night, and you had to be, you know, it was a. It, it was the kind of game that you needed uh, to, to be be up and ready to go every night. And he thought that by the that coaches had a had a shelf life to them, basically. And, uh, and, you know, he, he acted like that is the entire 30 years. He was a general manager. We, you know, guy, some guys might last a little longer than others, but he felt there was a shelf life to them because guys would tune them well, up. I think that's legit. I think a lot of sports, I think pro football is kind of the same way in, in many, in many ways, but I always thought that always, it was cherry kind of fomented the us against them. Oh yeah. And the, and the, and the, and the them were Harry too. We are the team, and the management Absolutely. is not us. Absolutely right. As he had, didn't bother me. He, you know, we used to. I said he he could he could make my life difficult sometimes. That again, I it was water off a duck's back for me. It didn't bother me. But uh, Harry, you know, take it personally and all. And yet, some of the funniest nights I've spent in my life, I would I would be riding in the in the well of the bus in front. And the coach always sat in the front row. I'd be in the well of the bus. And Harry would be sitting with Cherry coming back from the, you know, all well, you know, all over the wherever we were, 
Jerry Harriet all usually, unless they were feuding about playing somebody or something Harry didn't like, then Harry'd go sit on the other side. But if they were if they were on good terms, they'd sit together in the bus. And they would tell stories. because uh, they have a couple of beers going on the bus would go into some other town. And they would tell stories back and forth about minor league hockey. And you know, Harry and Jerry loved to share this one story about some place they played. So Harry played minor league hockey, and Jerry played, you know, ex- for, except for a handful of games. He was a minor league guy as well. And they were telling some stories. It might have been like in Rochester or someplace that uh, uh, Harry got some award, and a couple of years later, Jerry got the same award. It was like for the MVP of the team. And and Jerry's, you know, I'm all excited. Gee, I got an award, and they're going to give me some kind of a gift. You know, and the gift was a bucket of apples. And Jerry says, this is it? He said, yeah, this is it. And because they're laughing away, and they've got the beers going, and they're telling me, just laughing the rear ends off, having the greatest time telling stories about minor league sports when they were in it. And, and Don Cherry used to love to tell the story about Eddie Shore, who, you know, was a, was a great Bruin from way back when. But in, in our time, in my time, Eddie Shore owned the Springfield Indians. Uh, and uh, Cherry played for him. Uh, and, and he was a tough customer. Uh, and, and, I mean, they were, they were operating on a shoestring budget. When, when we would go out there to play, they used to play at the, at the Big E, the Eastern States Exposition. I imagine, I'm sure it's still there. I don't know if the, the actual rink is still there. But it was a barn, literally a barn, and they would have some stands on the side, and 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 Eddie owned the building. He still, I believe, he still got some connection to the to the to the Big E. I don't know what it is. He's long gone. His son uh, was involved in it. Anyway, so this barn would go out and play, and it was dark and sh- you know shadows all over the place. It was it was not conducive to the big time hockey, but it was the American Hockey League, and and they had a they were a, a charter member of the American Hockey League going back into the, I think the twenties. Anyway, we went out there to play one night, more than a, more than one day. We played probably four or five years, uh, preseason games here, and with 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 one minute to go, the announcer would come in. One minute to go in the game, all of a sudden I was sitting in the in the back row there where the press box was, and I looked up. And I saw the lights going off one by one by one by one. Eddie was, and it was had a limp to him to boot, was limping around. The, the, light, the, the lights were on pull chains. And with one minute to go, he went around, started pulling all, all the lights. So by the time the game ended, the place was being complete darkness. He didn't care if people tripped or whatever. Darkness, so he didn't have to add to the electric bill because he told me that they were on a very tight budget. I said, Eddie. People are going to get killed here. Christ trying to walk out and with pitch darkness. But that was the way he, and, and, and I, I remember telling Don that story. He said, oh, hell, he used to do it all the time. You know, they wouldn't let you get another stick and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was minor leagues at his best. It was great. When you left the Bruins, many of us thought that you were destined to go to the Red Sox. Did you want to go to the Red Sox? Well, it was discussed. You know, uh, it never got to a point where I had a couple opportunities. One one was discussed way back when. Uh, the answer is I I don't know. I, I you know I sure I did like what I had no reason to ever want to leave the Bruins. Even when I had to leave, I didn't want to leave. And you left uh, because 
Who let you go? Well, the, the new the current management, you know, same, uh, 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 the you know, they brought in. Uh, what, uh, Neely? Was no. it Neely? No, Neil, no, no, Neely came out. Oh, you're talking out. about Jacobs, Charlie Jacobs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they brought in uh, uh, Shirelli, a new general manager, and he was like running the show and all that. And, you know, they just, and you know what? I said, I, uh, I, I had 34 years, I had no complaints, right? But, you know, uh, and again, I have to tell either one of you that uh, I used to, when I took the job in 1973, I replaced two guys, uh, the Garden PR guy and the Bruins PR guy. One was 75, one was 65. And they wanted to get some, a young, younger kid now. I was 24 years old. They said, you know, let's, let's do this. But when I, when I took over for those guys, I, I, I felt it was almost an obligation to make sure that they were always welcome to come back. And I went out of my way to call them. Uh, one of the guys ended up going to Florida, but he used to come back up. Another guy lived out in like Boxford or someplace. I mean, I used to call them and say, please come in. I, I wanted them to feel like they were still a part of it. And because that's the way I was brought up. That's the way we were brought up. You know, uh, un unfortunately, and it's probably still the case today. It was the case 16 years ago. Uh, institutional memory is a bad thing now, in most cases. Not always, but in most cases. When, and when I was brought up and when I started, institutional memory meant a lot. A lot. These guys were the guys that, that set this franchise afloat, kept it going, promoted it. And, and I made sure that I kept them in the loop. And uh, uh, because that's what I thought was the right thing to do. Well, and that's the way you were brought I, up, apparently. Yeah, what's that? That's the way you were brought up. Yeah, well, that's right. Now we're all brought up. I and mean, it's not, it's, you know, uh, new people come in. I saw it. But they, they have every right to do what they want. I don't, you know, I don't harbor any ill will. Things, stuff happens. I said I had a hell of a run. I loved, I loved it. I got no complaints. But, uh, you know, they... And and I used to use the term, and you again, you you guys see it too. It's not just confined to hockey or to me. That uh, especially a lot of people come in. You know, they think they the business started when they started. There's no, there's no. Uh, it's the truth. I mean, they don't. You know, they don't want to think that God, nobody could have done this before me. I mean, how the hell did they? You know, how did they, how did they get the show on the air when I wasn't there? Right? Of course not. I started it. I was there, and we've all got we've all got stories like that, and this that was what I sort of felt there as well. And uh, uh, but I said the one thing I was I was damn glad that I, and I forced myself is not to go around saying you know woe is me I got screwed I got this. No, I had 34 great years. You look like you guys had 30 plus years in the business. I mean, you know, you could have had to work for a living. This is, <laughs> this is a great life we had, right? Why, why should I be, uh, why should I? Now, having said that, I haven't been to a game. In, I, I went to every game for 34 years. I haven't been to a game in 16 years. But, and not because I'm sure if I, if I wanted to, to, to go, I'm sure I could, I have enough friends to get in but you know i didn't feel comfortable 
no, no, nothing, nothing to offend anybody. I just didn't feel comfortable going, and I, I still don't today. I, I have a grandson just turned 16 years old. He loves sports. The only, the good news is that's the one thing he got from his grandpa. He loves sports. The, the better news is he's an athlete, which his grandpa was not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've taken him to Celtics games. To, when we've been, we took, we have a picture downstairs of he and I standing on the Celtics logo. I've taken him to Fenway Park. Hundreds of times, you know, out on the field. But not to a Bruins game. Not to a Bruins game, no. And I always – and he loves hockey, too. He loves hockey, and he watches it. And uh, uh, and his father played played high school hockey. His father is a big, big hockey guy, too. And so we watch games together, but never in person. I just – you know, I don't feel comfortable, that's all. I just get don't. It. I get so, it. I, I, I think Mike gets it, too, in, in a big in – a, yeah, in a big way, and I, I just want to go, go back to the Red Sox. Is it true that it was Gene Yockey didn't want to hire you because you were Jewish? Yeah, I've heard that story too. I don't buy it. I, I, I don't, I don't buy it, Bob. I they, certainly it was never ever brought up to me in any, uh, uh, in any way, shape, or manner. Uh, and uh, I had, I, you know, uh, when I. Uh, Especially in in the in the in the seven mid seventies early seven I started working with the Bruins I had a lot of friends that worked over there, you know I used to uh, I used to sit there I used to go to a lot of ball games I was single I had, you know I loved baseball I would sit in the back row with with Eddie Kenny Eddie Kenny the old scouting director we yeah. smoked cigars we had Eddie Kenny and I and Hank Saw remember Hank Saw the old baseball player. He was a supervisor. He would sit there, smoke cigars, and you know, I listen to those guys tell stories. I mean, they they were great to me, treated me really well. You know, uh, uh, I think I most I people in the media, people. most people in the media, I, I know, Mike and I certainly have agreed on this. It was it was a lot that you would get that Red Sox job. That's what everybody. I mean, here was the best PR executive VP or whatever your title was around. Available. No, that's and, very nice. But and, I never, and, I said, I never got to a uh, uh, where I had to make a decision, and it would have been very tough because I, uh, you know, I, I loved working for Harry. Uh, I had a chance to go to work for the NHL office in New York. I actually had an interview. I won't get into all the details. Had an interview once with David Stern. Oh, did Marty Walsh kick you out of the job? Marty Walsh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it is, uh, uh, it is, uh, uh, it was good, but uh, no regrets. I, I stayed where I was and I was very happy and I got married and your kids, you know, you don't, you, 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 your flexibility is, uh, uh, is changing your, and your thinking changes and all, but no complaints. I, uh, I enjoyed uh, every minute of it. And I said, I, I certainly spent many, many wonderful nights, uh, not only watching the Red Sox, but then, as you also both can I remember, spending uh, many nights a post game in the Red Sox press room, where I mean, I saw, I saw things in that press room, uh, especially as the night went on, things that you know, in, in involving great names, and you know, I, uh, Howard Cosell in a in a heated argument with somebody who knows, and they were well, they were Jack Craig, probably right when Jack, Jack Craig was probably right. Uh, Billy Martin uh, coming up after a Yankees game, looking for our old friend Jack Satter. Remember Jack Satter from the Colonial Divisions? 
Jack would be a terrific guy, wonderful friend of mine. I love Jack. But he had Billy promoting Yankee Franks at, at Yankee Stadium because he was a minority partner, if you remember, of, of Steinbrenner and the Yankees, right? Looking in the, I mean, the, the characters that would come in there, right? Jim Martin and Ned Woods. Late in the night, won't get into all the details, but you can imagine the craziness, the stuff that went on there, right? And I loved every minute of it. And it was, uh, they were the, the Red Sox folks uh, uh, back in the, the Haywood and Buddy days and then the Harrington days to follow. Couldn't have been nicer to me. I, uh, uh, I enjoyed, I, it was my, one of my favorite things to do in the summertime is go to a Red Sox game, smoke cigars, and then go into the press room afterwards and watch all these people come in. What would you have done with the chaos with Haywood and Buddy and Gene? Oh, my word. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I like them both very much. I mean, Tony Canigliero night, Buddy comes up to the. Oh, I what, what? Who's I, doing the thinking? I, exactly. I don't know what. Uh, uh, and I like, you know, Buddy was a, an old trainer and Haywood, Haywood was, was a trip. I got, I got to know Haywood uh, really well. At the, at, he was on the Nesson board with me back in, back in the day when he, when they, when they had, control of the Red Sox. And uh, he was a fascinating guy, uh, uh, Haywood. And uh, uh, it was uh, it was a crazy time, though. I mean, I, the answer is, I don't know. It's I, I, things I, I'm always was always thankful that I never had. I had to deal with some some I had to deal with some as you both some sad things. And we you know, we had Levier tragedy. We had you know, I've had all kinds of stuff, but I never had that. I never had partners going out one another and all that, that would have been a, uh, a nightmare. So let me, let me you. also admit, there's a couple uh, individual incidents. Which are, I don't know how you handle them. Mike Milbury with the shoe and Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, I, I believe me. And, and, uh, uh, Michael, my second night on television. Was that, it? That was Christmas Eve, Eve. I'll December never 23rd. Absolutely. Christmas Eve, Eve. I went on television that was my second night on, and that fight happened. Believe me, and and of course I was at the game. I was at every game. Harry and I, I I'll, I'll tell you, we had we had we were, and we were walking down. The press box was was in the middle in the middle of the stands at Madison Square Garden. So we were walking down after the game, and you had to go to the corner where the team went off to to get out of the to get to the dressing rooms, and we were within. 30, 35 feet. You know, Harry's chatting back and forth about this, that, the other thing. And uh, all of a sudden, I see Harry going, oh, oh, blank. Over the glass they come. Gee, Jesus Christ, Harry. I, I said, what should we do? He says, let's get the hell out of here. We ran to the other side. We're scared. I mean, these, you know, we saw the guy, the, the initial guy, you know, and, and of course, that was the very last time. The glass was low that in those days. At certain areas, the glass would be high, and then it would bring it, they'd bring it up. So fans could reach over. And the guy reached over. I, I, was, I said I was probably at that time maybe 50, 60 feet away. We see the guy reach over, and he's trying to grab Stan Jonathan's stick. Yanks it out of his hand. Jonathan gives him a whack like this. Next thing you know, O'Reilly's going over. Then Milbury's going over. Then McNabb's going over. So Harry and I are standing well back in the uh, – we don't want any part of this thing, right? But, I mean, I had a bird's-eye view of, you know, Milbury whacking the guy with a shoe. 
uh, McNabb beating the pulp out of some guy, right? And and I mean, it was it was absolutely it was absolutely crazy. But I, I tell you, uh, and I've taught we nobody and I have discussed this a million times. The, <clears throat> it was this, December twenty third. I said that I said, "Geez, it's good to see everybody in New York's in the Christmas spirit, right?" And like <laughs> whacking each other, and our guys are going back at them. So there was a, a longtime security chief at Madison Square Garden named Dennis Ryan, now deceased, but a wonderful guy, a wonderful friend of mine. And he was checking me, looking for me after the game. Nate, Nate gives me, gives me a second to come over. He said, uh, I've called the bureau or whatever in New York, and we're going to give you a, a, a police escort uh, from, whoops, did I lose you there? Police escort from Madison Square Garden uh, to the uh, Midtown Tunnel because we were going to take a charter. It was Christmas, as Bob said, 23rd of December. We were going to charter from LaGuardia home. So you go through the Midtown Tunnel to get out to LaGuardia. So I said, great. Uh, uh, he said, uh, and we brought the bus underneath in the building. The bus used to be right at the gate. No, we're going to bring it in. People are outside. I mean, it is it is a mad, it was scary madhouse, right? So <laughs> We, we they bring the bus in, so now I'm in my usual spot in the well. I said, oh, this is going to be fun. We're back in the bus. The guy's back in the bus out. People are flinging stuff at us, trying to rock the bus. People pushing the bus. I mean, it was, I'm telling you, I was scared to death. I just sort of sunk down in the underneath. I didn't, I didn't even want to look. I mean, I hear stuff, you know, crashing up against the glass, and it, it was horrible. But uh, a good story is though that that so Dennis said I have got a motorcycle escort to take you as I said to the start of the tunnel. So as is the case in the, only in New York, this is an only in New York story. You know you get two blocks away from Madison Square Garden, nobody knows what the hell's going on. I mean there's, there's 18 million people on every corner. Nobody knows that. What is this? Why is this police escort? You know they just everybody does their own thing, right? So we've got we've got. Uh, like six motorcycle cops, two in front, two on the side, two in the back. So we're driving down one of these side streets. We finally get on to like Second Avenue, about down, and we they pull up to the front uh, of the entrance to the Midtown Tunnel, and the guy was slow down. So the, uh, I said, the bus driver, open up the door. So he cracks the door. I said, thank you, fellas, very much. We appreciate the escort, right? One of New York's finest standing right next to me Gives me the middle finger. <laughs> so, I, so I said, geez. So, of course, I couldn't wait. I said, I called my friend Dennis Ryan. I said, the next chief. And, and I said, Dennis, you won't believe this, but one of your former colleagues gave me the middle finger. I just opened the door to say thanks a lot. Wasn't interested in any kind of peace offering at all. Just wanted me to get the hell out of New York, I guess. Well, Nate, if I could give you one of these campers, I would do that right now. Right? Why don't you let me do this? Okay, you, you go. Uh, Cold Springs. If I could give you one of these right now for making this appearance, I would. Unfortunately, I'm not authorized. <laughs> but now's the time to see a fantastic selection of motorhomes at Cold Springs RV. Go check out the deals. Enjoy the pressure-free environment. They also have a large display of pop-ups for summer camping fun. July 4th, right around the corner, so get ready with a great deal today. This is for you, Nate. Learn more online at coldspringsrv.com. Make it a summer to remember. 
with a camper from Cold Springs RV. That's Cold Springs RV in where? New Hampshire. It's oh, West yeah. Manchester, where, Nate, you made that first trip That's up to right. that radio show. I could, I, we could have used that camper that night. <laughs> 10 feet of snow. You were the best. So you know what, Nate? Uh, Cold Springs is still in the process. You remember John Madden had a Madden cruiser? Yes, absolutely. Famous. I commissioned him to make a Lobie cruiser. It's uh, it's going to be everything custom made, everything Bob wants inside there. I and like it. Bob has offered uh, the use of the Lobby Cruiser to all, all our guests. You get to drive cross country in it, but you have to take one person, to, what's, uh, dead or alive, one person that you would like to drive cross country with and have a conversation with, and listen. And uh, who, 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 who would you come up with to ride in the Lobby Cruiser? That's a boy. That is a darn good thing. And I I remember about the Madden Cruiser because he actually it actually uh, uh, enticed me to go and order one. Was uh, as you know Madden was the was the first one to have a turducken. You know what a turducken is? Yes. Yeah. Turkey, duck, and chicken, right? All yeah. stuffed in the. Uh, and he was the first one to have it. So we were, we were. So I think it was maybe in Atlanta. Anyway, it was it was at Thanksgiving time. You know, back in the day, we used to play on Thanksgiving and play on Christmas. And I I, I actually saw it on the menu, and I had a turducken. Uh, you can't believe it. You're, the only person I mean, you're the only person I know that's ever had one of those. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, uh it was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was different, spicy, you know. A little, but it, so, anyway, so, who would you ride well, with? That's a very good question. I, I still because he's my friend, but I, I would probably pick Orr. Yeah, I would probably I, pick Orr. He can be good too. Yeah. Uh, and I said I see him. I see him a couple times a year. I see him in Florida, and we always find well, as we are. I said he's turned seventy-five. I'm gonna. I'm seventy-four. We we always find new and different things to talk about, or or we. At least to us, they're new and different. We may have talked to them before, but we're getting to this age now. We we can't remember what the hell we talked about, so we <laughs> we keep we keep bringing it up. But we laugh about. We still have a good laugh, so that's the good news, right? Let me ask this: Speaking about uh, buses, uh, down in Hartford, uh, Terry O'Reilly, was there a car blocking the bus? Is that what that yes. was? Yes, yes. And this, the part of it is actually a uh, this is this is not a funny story at all. Uh, and it never got out. It never got much publicity, if, if any publicity. Uh, they, were, they played in the Hartford Civic Center, and they brought the bus underneath. And uh, uh, I, I don't think Terry would mind me telling his story. I hope not. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of his boys had a lot of health issues. Uh, and at the time, he had he, he nobody knew it. He he had gone in the hospital again, and he was in uh, uh, anxious, needless to say, to get home, get home and get get over to the hospital and see his his boy. And you know, this, some fool had parked right, literally right in front of the bus. So we had, and we were trying to get security people to get this thing out of it and get going. And th so that was the that was the story behind it. Everybody made it sound like you know, like O'Reilly was mad because. They lost or won or whatever. I forget all the scenario about it. But that was that was sort of the story behind the story that it was a you know family issue that he needed to, to get home and uh, uh, we we got it. We eventually got it straightened out. But I, I remember it well. All right, a, a happy a happier memory. Pelos Vizito night. 
when Ray Bork took his jersey off. Yes. Whose, whose idea was it, and how did you pull it off? All right. Well, the, speaking of Hartford, the night before, we played in Hartford. And uh, uh, Harry Sendon and Tom Johnson and I, as we were wont to do, we drove. I, I was driving. Uh, we drove to Hartford, had dinner, went to the game, driving back. And we there was a plan in place just to do the usual, you know, here's the, you know, Here's the uniform, and guess what? It's going up in the air, right? And in the course of conversation, despite the fact that an awful lot of people now claim they, they either knew it or they were behind it, or they were nobody knew it because we didn't know it until the night before when we were driving home from Hartford. And so the the and you know the three of us were talking about it all, and somehow we came up with the idea. Who it was, I can't exactly remember. Well, the idea was. To uh, to have uh, Bork take the jersey off, his jersey off, and give it to Phil, and the new jersey would have seventy-seven. So that was it. Was as simple as that, and and we did a pretty damn good job of keeping it quiet because yeah. all that day, and we had to get we had to get uh, uh, Dan Canny and, and Frosty Forrestal were our trainers, and we had to let them know to get uh, uh, a jersey ready for Bork. And and uh, one to give to Phil. We had one ready to give to Phil. Uh, and Harry, Harry, one of Harry's, he, he he has no problem with retired numbers, but he always thought that they should be called honored numbers. So that if somebody, he said, you know, there were certain numbers like four. Nobody was going to wear number four again because it was it was iconic, right? Number number four for Bruins. But you know, some of them. You know, some of those numbers, well, they're obviously still retired today. You know, uh, guys who haven't played in, 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 since the 20s or 30s. And he always thought, he said, I have no problem with, he, he liked to refer to them as honored numbers. They want to be honored, but it's the name. You know, we're honoring the name and the number. And uh, uh, I remember he, he brought it up sometime to somebody, and oh, God, it caused we had we had relatives of some guy that I, I had never heard of that his number retired in the Bruins, you know, sending in letters from someplace in, you know, in, in, in Greenland or someplace. They were just they were all over Canada, people screaming about it. So he decided, I said, you know, it's probably better off to leave this idea on the table where we picked it up because it wasn't going to wasn't going to fly. But uh, it was a great night. Uh, and Phil, I saw Phil a couple of years ago also. I was a busy guy for the week I was in Florida, but I saw Phil uh, and, you know, to, to this day, uh, it's probably two things in his career that he'll never forget. The day he got the call that he was traded to New York, which, you know, still sticks in his craw almost 50 years later. And uh, the night he got to, to, to go to the garden to see his number retired and to see Bork give it up, right? And uh, it was it was spur of the moment off right off the seat of our pants driving home from Hartford to think uh we just said you know this this would be this would be a good a good thing to do that was that was one of our well that in the uh in the oral retirement night which was in 1979 when we retired his number it was uh uh those are two of my favorite and the closing of the building obviously another great night but some not not you know we didn't overdo it, but we the nights we did the nights we did it, 
it was it was it was pretty special. I was and I would just quickly tell you there was uh, at, when I, I noticed the other night when Las Vegas won the Stanley Cup that Bettman came out to present the trophies he does every year, usually to a raucous booing. Everybody boos. You know, you can barely hear them talking. You know, it, it's it's become focused on on and it happens every year and he laughs about it and whatnot. But in, in so it was January 9th, 1979 was the night we retired Oz number. I'll never forget the night. It was, among other things, we were playing the Russians, which was a big deal in itself in those days because the Russians obviously hadn't come to the NHL. There was an awful lot of, awfully, we had protests outside the building. People were lighting the ash can, trash cans afire in North Station. We, I mean, we had a, we had a circus going on there that night. And, and, and the big thing was to have Oz number retired, right? That was a, so we had, <clears throat> we had all these dignitaries come out, you know, we had a, a, an old ratty old carpet. I mean, you know, today they've got, you know, logos on everything and the video things, you know, we, we had nothing. We couldn't even, we didn't even have a sound system that worked. People had to yell because the sound system was so bad in the old building. Right. Anyway, so I'm sort of putting together, sketching who we're going to invite. We had the governor there, the mayor there, and, you know, all these dignitaries. And I said, uh, and, and Tom Fitzgerald, you remember Tom Fitzgerald, the old Globe hockey writer, right, and golf writer for many years. He said to me, you know, I would be honored if, if, if you needed a, an MC, I'd be honored. You know, I think of Oz like my favorite. I said, you know what, Tom, that's probably a good idea because, you know, uh, uh, the radio and TV guys will be busy building up this this whole night. You, why don't you be the be the do the emceeing of the event? So we have all these people lined up. So we have the governor, the mayor, uh, all you know, Orr's family, uh, you name it. We have a we have a cast of thousands out there. And Tom Fitzgerald goes to the mic, and he's so I, I type out a list of who he's going to introduce, and uh, so. At the, at the time, Clarence Campbell was the president of the NHL, a very, very distinguished guy. You know, he was a, Clarence Campbell was a prosecutor in the Nuremberg trials. I mean, he, this guy was a big time uh, lawyer, big time military guy. He was, he was, this, this guy was very, very highly thought of in Canada and around the world. I mean, he said, so at any rate, he comes out and he was, he was getting up there in years. It was near the end of his tenure. And out he comes in. Next, we invite the, the Honorable Clarence Campbell, president of the National Hockey League. And as only could happen in Boston Garden, especially from the second balcony, boo! They say, you know, booing him. And so Tom gets quite flustered by this and announces to the 13909 in attendance, plus the radio and TV guys, see here, he says to them, do not boo the president of the National Hockey League. It is unbecoming of people in Boston. He started giving him a lecture. I'm going, come on, Tom. We're going to get moving here. He was, he was lecturing the fans because they unleashed. It's why I, you know, and I, as I recalled at the time, I think it might have been O'Reilly. He suspended. We had somebody who got suspended for some other thing. And, of course, he was the president of the league. He did the suspensions. So the people were good and irritated. And did they unload on him? This poor old guy is all hunched over. But I said, uh, you know, a, 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 a brilliant guy, right, comes out on the ice and people, second balcony guys yelling. Tom was, he, he was lecturing them for five minutes about this is not the right way to treat the president of the league. 
This is Boston wheels going on and on and on. Go, oh my God, we're going to be here for an hour with this. <laughs> I never forgot that. And every time I see Batman or any commission, I always think of Tom lecturing the crowd about how do we how to address Clarence Campbell, right? <laughs> yeah, stuff you think about. God, we could go on for a couple more hours, Nate. I tell you, it was stuff we could talk about. But uh, you were great. We're really oh, glad you. you were able to make it today. Two of my favorite guys right here. I am. I'm. I'm. I tell you, all sincerity, I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, two of my, you both know. You know my feelings, both the both of you, and we had a lot. And you know what? We had a lot of fun yeah. uh, uh, for all the years. And uh, no matter what they do to you, what they say about you, whatever happens, you can't take it away. You can't so, take it away. So not uh, that goes for all of us. Well, all good. But Nate, right. Nate, uh, Nate Greenberg has been our guest. Uh, for Pablo Ball and Mike, Mike Lynch, I hope you've enjoyed uh, Unanchored Boston, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Good job, everybody. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com. Thank you.